Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to our final episode of Queer Talk. Uh, we are joined by both Mufsin and Adam for episode 10 of season one. How are you both? Lovely, how are you? Feeling good. It's crazy that this is episode 10 already. This year has been a complete write-off, but I feel like we've achieved quite a lot in this podcast. Do you know what surprises me is, we only started in February. Yeah, but that was... And I feel like we've been doing this forever. It it does. In my head, we started in October 2019. It's been six years since February. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been 74 years. Lockdown has been a lot longer than, than we think. Have you ever watched Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief? You know when they go into the casino in Las Vegas and like time just they're, they're there for like a week. No, um, I've, I don't. I've never watched that I've film. Never watched that film, but Inception comes to mind. Where but, yeah. like in the dream, a minute is like exactly twenty five. And then they jump into another dream, and then time warps even further. Have you ever watched Inception? Spencer? I haven't. So obviously, our film oh, is, is wow. not so a match. We, we both have uh, something in common in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but you stick to Percy and the Dragons, you know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, originally we were all set up um, with all our equipment. We were meeting people in person, and it was it was really exciting. And now we are recording from home six months later, and it's like, okay, yeah, cute, great. Still doing this. Yeah. We're in our time box. We don't have Absolutely. to carry all the equipment anymore. Yeah, that that's quite nice. Uh, I do I do miss catching up with you guys and just ba- we basically just ate chocolate biscuits for like the whole time and didn't really get much done. I still eat chocolate biscuits. We just not <laughs> around. Yeah, how long have, how long have we not seen Spencer? Um, oh, it's been it's... since February. That was the last time I we saw so. him. Yeah, because you, you came down yeah. before lockdown, just before lockdown. Yeah, God, you guys must be missing me a lot. Wow, you can't really get away from you. Wow. It's, it's, it's a thinker. I'm going to have to consider it. <laughs> because you remember in the mental health episode that we did, um, you were saying like, oh, lockdown hasn't really changed me. I'm still FaceTiming my friends. I'm the FaceTime queen. I definitely feel that. Like, I don't feel like I've missed you because you're, you're more <laughs> present in my life now than ever. <laughs> That's true. People are people are more available to take my calls now. I'm gonna just pretend that you guys miss me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we'll and we'll and we'll just swiftly move on. So, Mufsin, what have you got planned for this episode? So, we'll be talking about trans representation in TV and film, and also we'll be talking about conversion therapy and how it is not banned in the UK still. Still. Uh, And later, we'll be talking to Gavin Alexander, who runs Black and Queer events in SOAS University. Amazing. I'm quite excited for that. So yeah, that's what we've got in store for this episode, our final episode of season one. So yeah, let's get started. So the the first positive news story we're going to be looking at this week is from Gay Times. It's Halle Berry stepping down from playing a trans role in a film because she received quite a lot of backlash. We see this time and time again, and we've had this discussion before about 
um, cis people playing trans roles and straight pe- straight people playing queer roles and the community get quite angered by it and I think it's really mm. important to kind of look at this as a positive because this is someone with a huge platform who is very well respected in the film world and we've been able to get through to her and she's apologised and withdrawn from the movie that she was going to take part in. Obviously terrible that she phrased it in that way and was saying, oh, I'm really excited to be playing this character and oh, the character is a, a woman who transitions into a man. I'm really excited to be playing a woman um, and misgendering the character and also not understanding the, like, the nuances of being a cis person playing a trans character. But what I like about this story, uh, this article, is that she did just go away and do her homework, talk to people and then come back and said, oh, hands up, I got, you know, I got it wrong. And that shows a lot of growth and log character absolutely i mean it's definitely progress the pro the problem is that she clearly hadn't researched what she was mm. getting herself into and that's obviously problematic but the fact that she she did take the time to learn and did withdraw from the role earns our respect right because a lot of people won't do that and they'll be like well no i want the role anyway yeah but yeah i think yeah. it's definitely progress it's definitely growth how how do you feel about this because obviously acting is playing someone that you are not so some people would disagree that this is a problem in the first place because essentially the whole point is that you're playing someone else so for a long yeah. time for example in shakespearean times men played every role both male and female and, and you're saying we should go back to that, Spencer? No, no not, <laughs> not at all. But what I'm, what I'm saying is acting is acting. So yeah. the, the counter argument to this is why shouldn't people who are actors be able to play characters? I think if you're saying, if you're, if you're telling a trans story, you're trying to get a specific message out. And I think if you're the director, writer, producer, etc., you're trying to make sure that the that the message is clearly emphasized in a, in a correct way. And I think if your goal and your intention to do that, especially with a trans film, I, I think the film is about a, a, trans, um, a trans person's experience, right? Yeah. And if you're trying to get that message out, what better way to do it than someone trans? Because yeah. they've lived through it and they would, like even if, as you say, they're acting, they can emphasize those emotions because they've lived, they've actually lived through it. And it's mm. just because of the exposure. It was it, Back then, it was rare to find a, a trans actor. Sure. Now, yeah. you, 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 it's, it's uh, not slim pickings anymore. So they can represent and portray that emotion as, as best as the, as the directors, writers, producers mm. want. 100% agree with what you're saying. So if a trans person can play a trans character and they will understand like the feelings you have when you're going through transition, mm-hmm. the feelings of you know being in the wrong body, mm-hmm. all those things that a cis person would have to act mm-hmm. and have to do those extra steps to get to that point to portray that character. Why not just have a trans person who already like understands it and can give you those so many layers of that experience? For sure, just um, like Orange Is the New Black with the uh, what's her Levan name? Cox. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and the Disclosure mm-hmm. documentary that mm-hmm. was recently on Netflix. Um, they talk about this in so much depth with a lot of trans actors talking about the trans history in TV. There's one thing that Jen Richards said in this documentary she's saying that when cis men play trans women on tv they can do it really well the example she used was eddie redmayne on the danish girl Mm -hmm. great performance really got into the character but the problem with having a cis man play a trans woman is when they're off screen is still a cis man they they play the character they come off and they're a cis man 
they win an award as a cis man mm-hmm. for that role. And a lot of people in, you know, wider communities, um, straight communities, may never have come across a trans person or may have never interacted or known to interact with mm-hmm. a trans person. So their only idea of what a trans person is is what they've seen on TV and film. And that is a cis man playing a woman. It still perpetuates that costume um, uh, narrative. It's it's drag. Where Laverne Cox playing a trans woman, Mm. well, a woman in in, um, Orange is the New Black, and then you see her outside in these award shows and she's a woman. Mm. You know, it kind of tells you that... Power behind that. Correct. And... Like for people who are going to enjoy a show like Orange is the New Black, who have never come across trans issues or trans uh, people, they'll see that and be like, "Oh wait, this is a you know, this is a woman playing a woman um, who has a trans uh, story and mm-hmm. has lived experience," and that goes so far in the way people perceive trans communities than a cis person playing a man in disguise, is what um, Jen Richards said in the documentary. Sure, I, I completely agree with you. I think we are still fighting a lot for trans representation in both film and TV. Mm-hmm. We're obviously making a lot of progress. But for example, if Halle Berry was to play this role, it would have got a lot of traction, right? Because she's a big face and she's a star. And I think that's also important too. I mean, what what is important is to see Obviously, we don't know what this film was specifically or who it was coming from, but to see that this film still gets made, right? Because if it doesn't have a big star playing the lead, it may not get picked up, it may not get funded, it may not make it to the big screen. And then then we face another problem that that story wouldn't have been told because this person stepped down. Counterpoint is, you can have Halle Berry in the film as a cis character... Uh, and then have a trans person as a main character and they'll still get that traction because sure. you know you still have that star-studded cast. And I just think, like Adam said earlier, like it's just lazy to say we couldn't find a trans person or like, even like in, with gay representation or like even in uh, racial representation, like Will Smith doesn't have to play every black character, you know? Mm-hmm. There are so many people out there. It's just when it comes to the marginalised communities, it's often seen to be more risky to take on stories that aren't the mainstream, like mm-hmm. non-white stories. And they don't often happen, but like those are always the films like that are powerful and they do win Oscars. It's just... Mm. It's... Also, like, make a breakout star. Give me someone I don't know. Yeah, There's, for sure. Like, don't be lazy. Give me, <clears throat> give me a, a good film is not always a star-studded cast. Give me yeah. a good writing. Give me quality cinematography. Give me a mm. nice story. Um, give me good direction. Um, and then it doesn't matter who's in the cast. <laughs> um, so just, just quickly, going, going back to disclosure, when trans narratives are being told or have been told, in the past and the characters around that trans person felt betrayed or lied to by the person who is trans or the trans person was painted as like the villain or a psychopath deceiving other people by being right themselves um and this is very problematic we obviously need to see these stories but we need to see stories that somewhat trans people feature in but they're not it's not about them being trans right we want to as gay people we want to feature in a film but not for being gay like we should be able to just exist in that narrative without having to come out having to you know have a drama or be in the butt of a joke essentially so i think we we move past halle berry stepping down we get a trans person to play the role then we need to make sure that this story is being told without drawing attention or or making a joke out of being trans we're at this point where lgbt people don't just need any representation 
like we're past that point. We need good representation, you know, not based on stereotypes or prejudice. <clears throat> we need gay representation, which is was which isn't just the best friend or you know we do need stories that aren't just about coming out because there's so much more to oh, girl, a gay queer best friend. Oh yeah, the gay best friend. This <laughs> oh still God, happens. I'm done with it. Like you know, I'd be Betty. The nephew was a gay, an amazing gay best friend, but like let's be honest, he was amazing. <laughs> he was amazing. <laughs> we need more stories that aren't just about centered around coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, we need all the other things because there is so much more to queer life yeah. than just that. But yeah, it's I think it's really important to have trans people playing trans characters gay people playing gay characters uplift those voices uplift those careers and then beyond just opportunity it's also about the damage it has when cis people play trans people in society if it's always deemed to be men in disguise if you keep you know perpetrating these like negative stereotypes so there's that level of it as well see seeing Um, this seeing this reflected in reality we currently are fighting for the gender recognition act to kind of go through and the uk government are trying to basically drop the reform plans that would allow trans and non-binary people to self-identify and this is really problematic right and and one of the main arguments if not one of the only arguments we seem to hear time and time again is i don't want a trans woman coming into the bathroom because that is a guy dressed up and he's going to attack me right this yeah. this is what um is thrown around constantly and it's really it's damaging the old type argument but then watching disclosure and seeing clip after clip after clip this is exactly what it was it was it was men in dresses that all of a sudden could switch off from being violent or intimidating and we could we could they could try and somewhat blend in um so it's it's actually very reflective of what society perceives trans people as um and and one thing they mentioned is that you know you can't be what you don't see uh, i'm not sure if that was a, you know don't quote me on that but you can't be what you don't see and if you aren't seeing accurate and realistic portrayals of trans people in mm. film and tv then when yeah. you get to, when you get to reality people's perceptions are going to be are going to be off and that's what's put us in this problem in the first place correct yeah it's like similar to that, um, well, I'm completely obsessed with Nina Simone. There was a Nina Simone movie production, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a big production. It's backed by really, really good producers. It has a lot of money going into it. But then when they released the cast and who's going to play Nina Simone, I was like, this is going to epically stumble and fail. Nina Simone was played by... I, did you guys hear about the Nina Simone no, movie? No. no. This is the first time I'm hearing it. First time you're hearing it. Yeah. Massive budget, huge. Zoe Saldana played Nina Simone and had to get her skin darkened. No. Yes, correct. Zoe Saldana of Puerto Rican descent had to play Nina Simone, who is a, a dark skinned woman. Yeah. And currently, right now, uh, Rotten Tomatoes at 2%. Oof. Um calling it a completely misguided representation of an absolute legend. Mm. So you could have a star-studded cast. Zoe Saldana, Avatar, all of it, like every single Marvel movie in in existence, she's in it. She's a star, an A-list celebrity. Didn't make the movie, no one heard about it. Completely flopped, completely failed. And I think if they properly cast the movie and aptly represented Nina Simone as who she actually was in her life, I think it would have been successful. So I definitely think this movie dodged a bullet with Halle Berry stepping down from the role and hopefully 
greater portrayal of trans people will help with the Gender Recognition Act and will help our government learn how to show some respect and treat people as humans instead of making things so difficult for non-binary and trans people. Um, yeah. And yes. and yeah, that was my <laughs> my positive news story for the week, <laughs> which always seems to kind of take twists and turns and become a bit of a downer. The positive of that was Halle Berry uh, apologising, recognising this is wrong and that trans people should play trans people and actually having a big celebrity like her say that opens the gates for other actors and actresses to say no to trans roles when they offered them and allow that space for trans people to you know, take those opportunities and tell those stories for their own communities. I think that's the positive from this new story. It's not all doom and gloom. Who would you guys cast? I know she doesn't act, but Monroe Burger, Burger please. Monroe uh, could do anything. Anything. I just want to see her on anything. Where is the Netflix documentary for Monroe? Hurry up. I'm sure she's, she's making one. stunning. Monroe, just, if you're listening to this podcast, acting is not hard. Just take a couple of courses, or if you can act already, stunning work. Get in movies. I want to see you on the big screen. Um, who's the actress from Pose? Oh my god, India Moore. Oh my god, Miss India Moore. No, India Moore's beautiful. Stunning. MJ Rodriguez as well. And can we discuss, can we also discuss Dominique Jackson's cheekbones? That's I've been seeing pictures of her as uh, ah. Storm. And I was like, everyone's like, please make her Storm. Storm! She'd be the best Storm. Oh my god, she'd be the best Storm. That's exactly what That's we it. need. We need just a trans woman playing nothing to do with anything trans. Yeah. This is a little bit awkward because isn't Halle Berry Storm? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Full circle! Full circle. If we replace her with someone trans, then it will just be a taste of her own medicine. And are we Are we okay with cis erasure? Absolutely. Um, of course. <laughs> that would never happen. No, it would never happen. No. So, scene. what is your story this week? Mm, my story mm. is a news article about Facebook and Instagram banning any mention of conversion therapy and any posts promoting conversion therapy. Work. Work. Yeah, these like, co- actually these work. These companies actually yeah, yeah. do good sometimes. I mean, it's and about time. They can move quicker than governments. How embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Instagram, Facebook, and I recently read that Twitter is also doing this. Any mention of conversion therapy or promoting it, they'll um, take it down, block, you know, all that stuff. Zero tolerance, and that's great. Actually, if you see a map of the world, which you can just look on conversion therapy page on Wikipedia, there's a pretty decent map of where it's banned. There aren't many countries that explicitly ban conversion therapy, which is Mm -hmm. shocking. I would imagine it would be a little bit difficult because I assume you would be able to ban aggressive and like old school conversion therapy where it's like electroshock therapy and violent therapy. But then I imagine it would be a little bit difficult because a lot of these... Conversion therapy are at the people's will. They'll yeah, want to like. It's not just that they're, they're psychological, it. also, and like, yeah. how do you ban something psychological because you can't mm-hmm. you can't prove the impact or the effect it's going to have, uh, mm-hmm. and that's what's so worrying. Like these people are literally being brainwashed or like hypnotized um, exactly to feel a certain way, and and that can only do damage to their mental health and and to their their well being. So. Conversion therapy has recently come back into the, like, the new sphere um, because 
two years ago, the Conservative government very explicitly said, we are going to consult and ban conversion therapy, but nothing's happened. And recently, there's a new organisation that's been set up by to two guys, Matthew and Harry, and their posts on Instagram went viral. Uh, and it's just banned conversion therapy. It's really simple and with a pretty nice graphic, you know, and calling the government through an open letter as well, signed by a lot of celebrities, including Elton John and our, our favourite Dua Lipa. Oh my God, Dua Lipa. Yes, Dua Lipa. Uh, artist of 2020, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, but they had a lot of celebrities and LGBT organisations and activists all signing this open letter to uh, call for a ban on mm-hmm. conversion therapy because at this point, it should just be banned. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm not even going to try debating in this episode of the podcast because no. we all know why it should be banned. Mm-hmm. It's, it is brainwashing. 100%. And it's, it should not be allowed. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, being gay, being trans is not a disease and it hasn't been classified as a disease or mm-hmm. an illness or a disorder for, for many years. So therefore you cannot cure it. It's it is normal behaviour. It's normal behaviour. Yeah. So yeah, this campaign and this open letter went viral. And the BBC article talks about talks about this and also has a very nice um, story about a gay man called Luke who grew up in a quite religious household and has been through conversion therapy with his church. And what they did there was kind of, I guess, shame him, try to correct him. They um, told him that all those feelings of fancying the same sex are the devil's thoughts. It was really damaging. And you can see how, as a child, a young person, when your entire community and your church and your parents are all saying that you're, you know, the devil is in you, you're just going to, you're going to think that you're a bad person for, for being, well, it's essentially normal. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of conversion therapy that we need to say, or the government needs to say, like, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And that will filter down into the religious circles and society where like, there are more conservative, uh, orthodox views and we can start safeguarding these children. It's, it's a bit disgusting because I remember reading ages ago about um, the Pavlov's uh, dog experiment. What's that? Um, do you know the experiment where they would train a dog and then um, on something specific they would shock him? I completely forgot they would shock the dog and then it would train the dog not to do something yeah, specific yeah. and when you when when i would read that experiment i'd be like that's so gross poor dog yeah it's the same thing for here they're fear-mongering and training mm. a person to to act a certain way and if they don't act a certain way it trigger it, it would trigger they, they would train the gay person to yeah. have a pavlovian response and immediately be triggered by yeah. some sort of punishment or some, some some sort of fear of going to hell or some sort of fear of losing all of their loved ones, which causes psychological trauma. And what blows my mind is governments would read the way um, these um, th- these churches and these conversion therapy uh, places do it. They wouldn't go, oh, gross, that's disgusting. Yeah, poor dog. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, what, like, that blows my mind. But that's why I'm saying it's, it should yeah. just be banned out, right? Yeah. So um, I was I was thinking about this a lot this morning. Um, hmm. um, growing up in North Wales, I've mentioned this in previous episodes. Like I didn't know anyone else who was gay, right? So I'm looking for for that kind of um, behaviour to mirror or to learn from or to kind of understand myself growing up. So for Luke, who you just mentioned in the article, he was literally put through hell because he trusted his um, church, he trusted his family. And one of the quotes in there was like, I thanked them for torturing me, like, because he would be so grateful that they were trying to do what was right and trying to do the best for him. 
And that's that's what makes it so backwards and so scary is that, you know, this isn't someone who doesn't want it to happen. This is some like Luke was was, was very invested. He was he was yeah. desperate to be corrected and to be cured and to be made normal because he felt so wrong for having those feelings. And it's amazing that this story got out because, you know, in the cases that that works, you know, quote unquote, that's just that's horrific because there is no there is no issue there. Like no, in their minds, long-lasting damage to that mm. person. Yeah, as they become an adult, completely. And in in their minds, they 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 don't feel that anything wrong has happened to them, but it mm. will definitely do damage. So it was it it's incredibly worrying to see that. First of all, that story happened in the UK, but it's it's really amazing to see the amount of big names, activists. You know, the number of people behind getting this banned is huge, yeah. um, and it, it and it just it's, it surprises me. Um, although it probably shouldn't with our current government, that this hasn't been banned yet. Yeah, and I think maybe part of the reason it became viral on Instagram is because a lot of people just were shocked that this was still happening mm-hmm. and that this hasn't been banned. And then maybe we're all in some sort of false belief that conversion therapy is you know, is torture, is barbaric, but it is in the past. We don't do elect- electroshock mm-hmm. therapy anymore. Uh, we don't have nausea-inducing drugs anymore, mm-hmm. I hope. But the conversion therapy still happens, you know, and um, it's a good thing that this, we're drawing attention to it now because this Luke story is very similar to a lot of people's story from religious backgrounds. I've, I've definitely interacted with people on social media through to, uh, sharing my story um, of people who have actually, you know, tried to correct themselves um, in, in a later adult life or have grown up in like Catholic or just you know, religious churches. And I was quite surprised because I'm sharing my story as, a, as you know, a gay Muslim, grew up next door to the mosque, was always surrounded by people who would have you know, naturally been mm-hmm. uh, homophobic just because you know, they believe in their religion, they want to go to heaven. And I always grew up very uncomfortable. And also I was grew up scared of being outed or like, people finding out my sexuality because worst case scenario for me, would have been, I would have been sent back to Bangladesh, uh, would have been sent to a madrasha, which is an Islamic school, for people to fix me. Um, and I really wanted to just live my gay life and grow older and, you know, have a normal life. But when I was telling those stories, it was, it was interesting for me to, to talk and to people from other religious backgrounds who have had similar, similar experiences that aren't just Muslim backgrounds, but a Christian or, you know, just any Orthodox background. But it just goes to show, like, this kind of conversion therapy of, like, trying to think that you can fix a disease or a disorder, it's, it still exists in a lot of institutions and it needs to be addressed. And the only way we're going to address that is if the government actually puts a hard line down and says, this practice is not okay. Definitely. I think it, it all starts, you know, with that. I think the movement is, is huge and, like, hopefully progress is, is coming soon. But like you just said, it all takes it all takes so much time. And unfortunately, during that time, more and more damage is being done to innocent people. So we need to continue to kind of put on the pressure and keep momentum going. It, mm. it, it seems quite um, kind of heavy at the moment because there's endless things that we are pushing for, right? You've got the Gender Recognition Act re- like being reformed. You've got conversion yeah. therapy being banned. You've got the Black Lives Matter movement kind of picking up momentum. And all these things that we should be fighting for, that the government should be responsible just for protecting us. Mo- almost all of these things are not, are not a discussion that needs to be had. I appreciate the way they go about it takes time and they need to do it properly and, you know, make sure everyone's safe. They had two years. Yeah, but they've had two years, exactly. And, like, they the they, they haven't well. had two years since they said they'd consider it. But, yeah, um, I think 
it's like Spencer said, not up for discussion, completely mm-hmm. intolerable. However, the reason why it's gotten so much traction is because we've been doing what we've been doing. We've been making sure our fight is stronger than anyone else's. We've been making sure that we keep the fight going on. Yeah. Oh, at the end, government will crack. Doesn't matter. We will get them. <laughs> <laughs> and with um, that in mind, I think we should definitely move on to our interview with Gavin Alexander, who we spoke to just before the Black Lives Matter protests and the death yeah. of George Floyd happened. So it seems a little bit out of context because we recorded the interview a little while ago. Um, so I guess for Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Or listeners, if you kind of question why that's not mentioned, that's why. Hi, so my name is Gavin Alexander. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I am a second year, going into my third year, um, student at SOAS, um, studying international relations and history. Well, welcome. Welcome to Queer Talk. How are you finding international relations? I just want to say that I did economics at university, so I think that's probably a bit similar. I'm not sure. A little bit, yeah. I mean, like, I absolutely hate anything to do with economics, so... <laughs> oh, so, so not the same. <laughs> no, I, I enjoy my degree. Yeah, it's really interesting studying what I'm studying, especially at SOAS. All the rumours you've heard about SOAS are true. It's definitely the um, sort of like super lefty, super like... Yeah, I mean, I know it's a university in London, previously called Oriental Studies. Yeah. But I don't really know much about what it's like now to yeah. be a student at SOAS. The full title is still the School of Oriental and African Studies. But um, it's, yeah, it's interesting to study there. I think the one thing that pulled me to it was that all the degrees were so so specific. So you could do things like um, African studies and you could like that they have like massive language courses and stuff like that as well, which are accessible to kind of all students almost like you pay a very small fee and you can take like a class in Japanese or Korean, uh, which is pretty cool. Although over the years, I think they've been due to issues with funding and finance. A lot of courses have been cut, so a lot of like the African studies courses as well um, have been sort of taken off, which is... Why are the African studies cut? Yeah, so I think... It's not, that's not a loaded question, by the way. I'm just like, is no, it racism? I think a lot of it just comes down to the fact that there aren't, there aren't enough academics that specialise in that field um, mm. that so us can get in. But, um, so I feel like all of the academics that specialise in like African studies or like specific yeah, like specific regions within Africa, they're kind of already at SOAS. Yeah, SOAS does its best, but they also, they could do better, as with any institution. A lot of universities, institutions, especially in the UK, can do better when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Mm, yeah. 
once you noticed that, that was the case at your university, what, what did you do to kind of tackle that or did you tackle that? Yeah, so um, I'm involved in a programme called Bridging the Gap at the moment. I run it alongside another student called Luana Gamma. That, that whole programme is focusing on tackling the racial attainment gap at SOAS. The racial attainment gap is basically the gap between BAME students' academic att- attainment and their white counterparts. So yeah. we basically work on different programmes and projects in order to improve that statistic and lessen that statistic. So you're specifically talking about the grades that people get and the achievements rather than access to going to the university or access to courses? Yeah, so the racial attainment gap is specifically just the gap um, of academic attainment. So it's, it's the difference in grades as opposed to actually getting to the institution in the first place. But then there's also other statistics in terms of students that, uh, like BAME students that go to the institutions, but then uh, drop out from those institutions or face hardships and have to delay their degrees and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of data there basically that is kind of all over the place and very messy and very difficult to actually find and difficult to kind of collate, which is why I think it's... it's Which is your job now. Basically, yeah. Um, and it's proving very difficult. Um, I'm very glad that I do it because at the end of the day, I think mm. university has been such a struggle for me personally. And if I can do something to make it slightly easier for other people, then yeah, I'll do it. So you said the data is not really there. And that's quite common with a lot of data across healthcare education. People don't monitor the different ways in which things affect people of colour. Yeah. So when you look at sexual health as well, like I've seen it, like we don't know how many South Asian people get tested for HIV and STDs because no one's collecting that data really. So it's hard to tackle these things. But with racial attainment, there is you, you, there are, there are statistics to say that um, black students aren't achieving as much as white counterparts. And you're you're there asking the question why and how can we fix this for future yeah. generations. Yeah, so with um, Bridging the Gap specifically, um, so that obviously is a programme that runs at SOAS and that came about through a law faculty meeting. So it started within the law department when essentially they found out that between the years of 2012 and 2016, um, I think black students were 9% less likely to achieve a first at the end of their degree than uh, their white counterparts. So that kind of then raised the question of why is that the case and well a lot of people in that meeting literally turned around and said well we have anonymous marking so clearly there's no issue here when actually there's no real facts that say that black people aren't as as intelligent or able to achieve as white people so at the end of the day yeah there's more research needs to be done to it and i think as we're seeing with the coronavirus stuff black and brown people are more affected by the coronavirus and it's not because the virus is attacking black and brown people it's more because the social economic um situations that black and brown people are in in the uk Mm. like the kind of jobs that uh, we have and incoming inequalities and stuff like that all of that is created by humans and you know created by society and disadvantages us yeah no literally i was reading um reading up statistics on um the amount of black people that are suffering severe case of coronavirus black people are more like four times more likely to catch severe cases of the virus, which is completely and utterly ridiculous. Like, how, how, does, how does that happen at all? So bridging the gap, what kind of projects and initiatives are you putting in place to help people? We've run kind of student consultations and events, just talking to students and getting more um, qualitative data in terms of what they feel is necessary at university, what the barriers are, what they think could improve their attainment in particular. 
to get more sort of detailed data from students because Bridging the Gap is a student-led initiative. It's meant to be for students, by students. We've also done um, a couple of kind of like group therapy sessions as well. So our focus is essentially pushing and supporting students through university. And I have this, um, so we were supposed to actually run another event actually around this time but obviously everything that's happened we kind of can't really be doing that right now it was meant to be a event run with the delicate mind which is um, a mental health charity in order to, to talk about mental health whilst at university and we're supposed to call it thriving not just surviving so we're sort of that's kind of our focus is is how do we thrive whilst at university and whilst in these institutions that are constantly draining to be a part of rather than just surviving it and getting through the degree but how do we actually get the most out of the degree as well does that link in with any queer stuff that you're doing at university but i also do um i run panel discussions at my uni um titled black and queer so the black and queer panel discussions basically I hold them or try to hold them about once every three or four months and I just get speakers in who identify as both black and queer to come and speak about their experiences. Yeah, so far we've had two two panel discussions. First one was on black and queer representations in public and the second one was on sexual racism. We were planning to do another one which was on focus on mental health. I imagine that gets a lot of interest because those are two very interesting topics. So with Black and Queer, um, so the first one we're talking about uh, representations in public of Black queer people, and if I'm honest, just kind of when I when I when I was asked to chair it, I was quite I was actually quite shook basically um, about the turnout because I didn't think it had been like publicised a lot. Even with Black History Month, I think we released the calendar like a week into Black History Month, so I think I didn't think anyone was going to turn up. So how many people did you expect to show up? If I'm honest, I expected like two or three people to show up, um, and that's that's two or three of the like twenty friends I asked to come, plus the people that are there to talk. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But the turnout it was actually uh, like way more people than I was expecting. Like I couldn't count the amount of people that were there, and it filled up the whole of SOAS JCR. Which yeah, I was kind of I was just very very pleasantly surprised by that it kind of made me think that like obviously these conversations are important um and people want to hear them whether or not they identify with them who did you get for the first talk so the first talk we had we had darkwa shay darkwa who is um presenter at bt we also had dr modrasola adebayo who is a drama lecturer at queen mary's and we also had nate ethan watson who is not a grime artist, no matter how much it says it on the posters, um, is an artist. <laughs> that was that was really good, actually. It was a very good talk. So uh, that was the first Black and Queer um, panel discussion we had. And actually, that was supposed to be kind of like a one-off thing for Black History Month. So I was, I was asked to chair that discussion about two days before the discussion happened um, and sort of turned around and said, you know what, fuck it, I was going to turn up to it anyway. So yeah, why not? And then after chairing it, I then spoke to the person who was organising it, Lucia, who is the Black Student Support Officer at SOAS. And I was saying that this is something that we should do more than just in Black History Month. Um, it's definitely something we should do throughout the year because there are Black queer students at SOAS. And even if there aren't, I think this is, these are important topics that people need to understand and talk about and listen to, quite frankly. So at the beginning of last year, you were involved in a HIV testing campaign called Me, Him, Us by Jim F.A. And I was involved in a campaign towards the end of the year. 
And I remember seeing posters in their office and your face was there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey. how, how did you get involved in Me and Us? Oh, actually, so I met one of the other participants, Phil Samba, um, at a, it was a panel discussion that he was on in uh, Nottingham. So mm. it was on queer people of colour activists and activism. I was chatting to him and I think I just literally one day on his Instagram story, he just posted saying, oh, we need some game by black men to um, basically turn up to this photo shoot. I literally saw it and thought, do you know what? Fuck it. Why not? Let me do it. Which is kind of how actually a lot of these these random like panel discussions and stuff that I decide to run have started is me saying, fuck it. Why not? It's great that you did that because um, I think there's obviously a clear reason for uh, representation and having a campaign like that where it's all black, gay and bi men. Yeah. And I'm not sure if there was, they struggled to get people to join the campaign because I know for the South Asian one that we did uh, afterwards, I was part of it, but also because I knew like there's not many South Asian gay men who would be willing to be on a poster yeah. uh, about HIV and about anything gay related, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I I 100% agree. Because um, um, th- that was the second part of Mihimas. So I think the first part of Mihimas, they actually, they didn't have as many as they would have liked. And then mm. that part, they ended up getting so many more people that it was... That's a, yeah, that's a testament to how successful the campaign is. Yeah. The first time round, they had a few people and the second time they had loads. Like that's, yeah. That is literally just evidence right there that the campaign yeah. is successful and it's doing what it's meant to. I remember when I was actually there and they were taking the pictures and they were like, yeah, we're going to try and put up the billboards probably in Hackney and probably in so-and-so. Instantly, my heart was like, oh, shit, Hackney, because I grew up in Hackney. And I was like, oh, so many people, I know, like so many of like my childhood friends and stuff will see this. And yeah, I was a little <laughs> bit like, oh, my God. But then I was like, ah, it's fine. If people see, if people have seen my Instagram, they already know that. Like, at, this, at this point, I wasn't really properly out. But um, I mean, I was out to a lot of people. It was just more like my family. This this point last year, I wasn't formally out to my family and actually um, over Christmas, I was kind of, it was kind of made outed, uh, but like it's, yeah. Scandalous. Yes, very. <laughs> I won't ask um, you for the full story. Yeah, no, it's okay. So the Me Hamas campaign was primarily a campaign for HIV testing, uh, but using an all black cast uh, on the poster to kind of, I guess, target a black audience and also, at the same time, represent black people in general media. Because it's not very often that we see posters, maybe in queer spaces, where it is, like, maybe sometimes there'll be one black or brown person, but often it's white bodies that we see. No, yeah, definitely, definitely, 100%. Um, so with me and Mars, I think, for me, what kind of stood out about the campaign was the fact that, like, so these posters were going up in places like Brixton and, um, like, Hackney, um, and like, yes, yeah, so like me growing up in Hackney, kind of thinking this is the sort of thing that I've literally never even encountered or seen. Um, like you'd see a lot of queer spaces or you'd see specifically black spaces, but you never see spaces that are like created for black queer people. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of it was kind of crazy to think that my face will be on a poster in the place that I grew up representing people who look like me, who are like me, do you know what I mean? So like, it was quite, it was quite nice to be able to be a part of that. And also, so uh, Me Hamas, the Me Hamas campaign, when I stepped into that room, I was kind of even taken back at that point because I, I, that was the first time I'd ever been in a room full of black queer men, mm-hmm. which was kind of, I, I, me looking back, like how did, I, how did I spend 21 years of my life without being in a dedicated space for black queer men, um, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. 
like in school um i was lucky enough to have um like some queer friends not in my school but kind of for outside activities and stuff i realized like i didn't really have like many black queer friends specifically and mm. even though i knew that like obviously i existed so someone must exist that's like me out there you're not you're not the only black queer person in the world <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes it feels like that yeah younger. no it definitely did um and then kind of since then i've just i've actively actually not even very much actively things just kind of fell into um into kind of my face or so like i'd like i've been i've attended like colors youth network um i've seen and spoken to people that went to my school who are black and queer but obviously weren't out in school and that sort of thing which is really it's just quite nice actually just to kind of see more of myself everywhere and i think that's what that's what i'm kind of hoping um Himas has done for someone out there is literally look at a poster and say oh my god like there are other black queer people that exist in this world i'm not alone almost which is really powerful i think i think it's really powerful yeah and you will have i'm sure like 100 percent, you would have helped a lot of people or just like change a few people's perceptions mm, yeah so there is there's definitely like a positive ripple effect there which you would have been a part of yeah i hope that they, i hope that they're not one-time things you know what i mean like i hope that these mm. things kind of continue to happen yeah just throughout and more we see more representation of black queer people more representation of south asian queer people like just these are just things that that seeing them is lovely but actually no we need them more basically well it sounds like you're doing an amazing job to be honest with everything at university me and us doing the, the talks and the panels and stuff we need more people like you basically <laughs> to keep doing what you're doing <laughs> it sounds really obvious but it's literally you know that's true we need more people like you to do it because not everyone has the courage or like um is proactive to go out and do these things and like chair these events and make these events happen and not just be part of the campaigns but also run the campaigns so uh, what are you working on at the moment so at the moment um i'm just doing a bit a few bits and pieces for like bridging the gap for instance i'm also um I recently joined uh, LGBT Rainbow Film, which is a sort of production company that are creating, or that have created, a documentary about queer people of colour, um, mm. which is pretty cool, actually. Um, the documentary actually got chosen to be one of the films. It was one of the films selected for the BFI Flair Festival, which oh, okay. is pretty, so, pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. And what was the documentary about? Um, so the documentary just kind of, um, so it documents the lives and experiences of um, four queer people of colour, basically, mm. and just kind of goes through their experiences. But it, it focuses on the um, on the riots that happened in Birmingham about, yeah, yeah about schools having same-sex relationships, education, and, yeah, the protests. So did they go to the Birmingham protests to record up there? Yeah, they did. So, um, so we have a video up on YouTube actually um, of the actual the Birmingham protests and of so it's Farhan um, Farhan Khan who, uh, um, yeah. yeah, who is basically sort of talking to people at the at the protests and kind of asking why why is this an issue and kind of having people like um, shout at them and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that clip. I've seen that clip of Farhan. It gets quite aggressive like it becomes a shouting match you know i've seen that clip and it's amazing that they have the courage to do that because it's quite hard to go up to people who have such strong beliefs against same-sex uh, education and have that much conviction and just to go up to those people and be like no look that's not right yeah no honestly um same here like i kind of 
when I first saw the video, I thought to myself, like, that, that is crazy because even just, even just from a, let alone just kind of trying to convince someone of something they're saying is wrong, but just from like a mm. safety point of view, I would not feel safe at all. So yeah, it takes a lot of courage. So you're working on promoting that film? Yeah. So I've done, um, I've basically been doing a little bit of very, 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 very little <laughs> um, bit of uh, social media for Rainbow Films. And yeah, so we obviously, obviously we were promoting it before lockdown and then lockdown happened, or oh, well, coronavirus hit so the the festival went online but the we haven't actually formally released the documentary yet because of everything that happened yeah to release at the right time yeah and no, i'm really looking forward to it because um i know Furhan i've bumped into them a few times at pride events so i'm i'm also want to watch the film you kind of go so there's a huge appetite for lgbt films like that like indie films yeah and it's like why why contain it in one month just yeah do it all year round as well yeah, that like they, they, with BFI, for instance, it literally just contains it in one month. Like, I feel like that's, yeah. that's the issue with a lot, a lot of these sort of like liberation type events and type things is that in one month, it's suddenly pride and suddenly brands and corporations want to like piggyback and say, woo, we love gay people. And then, yeah, literally. And then the next month, it's like, gay people? Who is she? Like, so I just want to say like massive thank you, seriously. Massive thank you for coming on board. And uh, I'm really excited to see what you're going to be doing pre and post lockdown. So you're officially part of the Queer Talk family now. Oh, love it. Thank you for having me, guys. So that was the last interview of the season. Can you believe it? I... Shook. <laughs> Shook I can't believe it. Was... it. It's, been, yeah. it's been an absolute journey. It's been a journey and a half. <laughs> guys so two main two, like, two journeys no no, no. Three two journeys. shocking things you know right now the end of season one of queer talk and everything is cake like, <laughs> oh on twitter <laughs> like this is for you guys everything is cake because it's it's for you guys just a cake uh for the season finale of uh, everything is cake <laughs> this is my favorite <laughs> season one of queer talk right do you remember when like people used to just share their food on instagram literally i think it's part of me becoming more queer like now i only see bodies and like gay men mm-hmm. uh, instead of cake but like i'm mm-hmm. so happy that cakes made a comeback because cakes made a comeback it's what we needed mm-hmm. love it 2020 yeah. has been a, f- a an absolute shit show and cake making a comeback has made it all okay but again people don't want the cake they're done they're already done with the cake cake. and like similarly season one has come to an end yeah but now i'm just sulking because i didn't get a birthday cake this year (laughs) my birthday was in lockdown but Krispy Kreme is going to give you a free donut aren't they they? will yeah yeah Yeah. they're going to give uh free donuts to everyone who had a birthday during lockdown yeah and now this is an official Krispy Kreme's advert (laughs) sponsoring this is sponsored by Krispy you guys wish (laughs) (laughs) that'd be a lot of sponsorship money Yeah, so anyway, that was the last episode of season one and the last interview and the last discussion and the last of a lot of things, but it's not the end. No, damn right. This is not the end of Queer Talk. Lucky for everyone listening, we will be back. And back with a new jingle. Oh my gosh. We have a new jingle. We're going to have a new format. We're going to have (laughs) a new guest. I can't wait for the new jingle. They just couldn't wait for me. They couldn't wait for me. Uh, So they just were like, Adam, do you want to come in? I I was supposed to, you know, be a surprise in season two, but... (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've just decided. Like, they're just planning our podcast for us now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it has been nice having you here for the last couple of episodes, Adam. Thank you. One of my um, highlights from the whole season... Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say it's number one because I've got a few highlights. One of your, okay. But one of them okay. was your first Pride story. Oh my gosh. 
Um, so a lot of my a lot of my friends heard the podcast and they were like, oh my god, Adam, we did not know about that story. I'm like, yeah, it was pretty sick. Mm-hmm. I love that story. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. I'm happy you enjoyed it. Yeah, of course. That's very, very sweet. What about you, Spencer? What's your favorite highlight moment? There've been there've been so many moments. I think Paula's interview is a standout because oh, kind of oh, yeah. it was it was very emotional. Yeah. Um she spoke about kind of being present through the HIV crisis during the 80s. She spoke She spoke about the charity she worked for at the time, helping women and children who were HIV positive. And it was it was just really like gut-wrenching, but it, it kind of was matched with her. She has an absolute potty mouth. I remember she was swearing by <laughs> every other word. So we were just like jaw on the floor the whole way through, like, oh my gosh, like yeah. we can't believe what she's telling us. We also can't believe that she's swearing so much. We also can't believe how much she's making us laugh. And it was just like... I don't know. It was. It was. I was just gripped the whole time. That was, um, that was such a great episode. Yeah, um, that was way back. That was like episode two. No, that was episode no, three. No, no, it was episode three. I love Paula. I'd never met her before, but then when we were doing that episode, I just fell in love with her because, like you said, she has such amazing stories, and it's a different perspective that I've, than everything I've ever heard of the uh, AIDS crisis, which is just amazing. And I remember Paula saying afterwards that. She was. She thought she was talking too much because it didn't really feel like an interview because <laughs> she just had so much to say. But um, also, the reason me and James didn't ask many questions is because we were like, "Whoa!" Like like children hearing a story. And like in a, in a way, we were children hearing a story. <laughs> <laughs> An- another one that I really enjoyed was Claudia. She explained to us how it feels to be in a queer space as an autistic person, and it was it was really interesting to obviously like we've all been to clubs and bars and whatever, and like kind of having that picture painted for us from that perspective was really mind blowing as well. Because um, yeah. she kind of took us there and. It definitely makes me consider like how queer spaces should be. It was a learning experience for me as well, just having that discussion. And I think that's what I've learned in every episode of Queer Talk. It's like, I'm actually learning more about different things. I think that's why this this, this podcast is super valuable. It gives you that, um, that oh moment where you hear a perspective of someone that's, you know, completely separate from your life. You, you, you've never known about this experience in your entire life. You've never actually thought about it a single day in your life and you suddenly hear about it and you go like oh and then things click things click like a broken glass moment in your head where you're like okay so yes this is like actually important Mm -hmm. this is actually crucial and this is actually something that someone's actually going through and i think that's the purpose of having you know this podcast and that's the value that this podcast brings and that's why i really love this podcast Mm -hmm. it just brings um, different perspectives. It opens yeah. been, it opens people to different worlds, and I think that's why it's very important to have queer talk. Season two, season two, season two, guys. Season two is definitely going to be bigger and better. If you guys, listeners, you do want to talk about or for queer talk to talk about something specific, you know, email in, write in, you know, you, you Twitter, Instagram, yeah. and say, hey, um, you guys should really talk about this, this, this. You know, give us ideas. It's, it'll feel a little bit more collaborative, don't you think? Yes. Well, I'm on social media all the time anyway, so if anyone says anything to me, I see it. Mm-hmm. And I will talk about everything, because I think that's the whole point of Queer Talk, is we're not talking about one thing, we're talking about everything. We're trying to, like, save the world here, right? <laughs> is, Bring- that, is that not what we're doing here? We're trying <laughs> yeah. to save the world? Or at least talk about the world. Yeah. I've seen the superhero we didn't know we needed. No. <laughs> we not. probably still don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're all getting all soppy and emotional with each other um, and saying how great this has been. So I think it's a good moment to wrap up the end of season one of Queer Talk. Like you said before, this definitely isn't goodbye. Um, we, we have endless plans and we, we want to bring as many people as we can uh, along on that journey because it's been a, an absolute wild ride and it's been a lot of fun meeting people, getting yes. to know people. Um, and just laughing and joking with people. No, it's been it's been lovely. And I just want to say a huge thank you to Gavin for being our last interviewee in this season. And if you want to follow Gavin's activities on SOAS, University, Black and Queer Events, uh, Rainbow Projects, he's doing a lot. And you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter on at thatguygavin underscore. Amazing. So don't forget to let us know that you have listened to the episode. Tell us how you feel on social media. We are on Instagram at queer underscore talk and we are on Twitter at queer talk underscore. And thank you, Adam, for joining us for this episode of Queer Talk. No problem. I always have a lovely time. Yeah, we love having you on here. Thank you. Um, And you can follow Adam on at Loki Adam. And that's Adam with an E. Yes, correct. That's Adam with an E on everything. Um, If you would like to feature in season two, as we mentioned before, please drop us a DM or email helloqueertalk at gmail.com. So until season two... Bye. Bye.